welcome to the Imposter Syndrome Files. I'm Kim Menninger, and I am so grateful that you are here. It's now been more than a year since I started this podcast, and I can't tell you how much I've learned and grown from the conversations that we've had here. As you may have heard me share, I have struggled with imposter syndrome and anxiety for much of my life, so this is a very personal journey for me. I do this podcast because I want us to share our stories with each other and to stop suffering in silence. Imposter syndrome is a pretty universal human experience and nothing we should be ashamed of. By listening to or supporting this podcast, you're helping me to advance my mission of destigmatizing this conversation and making it safe for everyone to be vulnerable and get the support they need. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support this mission even further, please consider subscribing. And if you feel inclined to leave a five-star review, this really does help raise the visibility of the podcast so that others can find us. And please consider sharing with your friends. Lastly, if you have a story you'd like to share, connect with me anytime. I would be happy to interview you. Thanks again for being here. Welcome, Naomi. I am super excited to spend time chatting with you. I know you and I have already started the conversation before we hit record, so I can't wait to continue it. But before we do that, I would love to invite you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you. Perfect. Thanks, Kim. It's so nice to be here. Um, So I'm Naomi. I am the CEO and founder of Meet Cute. We are a rom-com entertainment brand, kind of sitting at the intersection of technology and product companies and Hollywood. So it's this gap in the market that we're trying to fill with feel-good content that we make at scale. And now we're working on partnerships with the entertainment industry to bring this to larger audiences. Um, And it's been about a year and a half uh, since Meet Cute first went live. So we're a young startup um, and the majority of Meet Cute has existed in the COVID pandemic. So we are uh, really rethinking what it means to be an entertainment company in 2021. And that has been a very fun journey for all of us on the team. Wow. That's amazing to be starting a business in an in an interesting sector, right? Uh, during a pandemic. So I'm sure that, <laughs> that gives us a lot of material to talk about. Definitely. Yeah. It's like no company could have anticipated what the pandemic was going to do to team structures, their industry, how much people are spending on marketing and um, creative and development and all of that. And so it really touched every facet of the business. And I don't think that that was unique for Meet Cute. Almost every partner that we talked to along the way um, reflected some of that uncertainty and, um, you know, trying to figure out something very new around what they were working on in this like crazy time that we're going to. And it sounds crazy, but honestly, that uncertainty and hearing that from other people gave us a lot of confidence um, because it meant that there was a lot of openness for us to innovate and come up with new ideas and solutions that we hadn't thought of before because everyone was kind of scrambling and trying to figure it out at the same time. That is so interesting because when you're talking about 
for lack of a better term, a level playing field with self-doubt or anxiety, uncertainty, right? It, It does make it easier than if you feel like everybody else has figured this out and I'm the only one who's feeling anxious or feeling like I don't know what I'm doing. So it is in some ways a blessing to have been doing a lot of what you've been doing during a time when everybody's been feeling a little bit insecure. Absolutely. I think it made conversations really fun for us because we could come into, you know, a conversation with a well-established company or someone that's been like a legacy player in the space that usually you're like, oh, they have it all figured out. They, I'm I'm sorry, I'm just going to turn off my Slack. I don't know why. Oh, sure. Um, they have it all figured out. They, they know the industry inside out. And then for them to come to us and say, what are you guys thinking about this space? Or what are you doing around remote work and hybrid work models to be able to have a brainstorm and have a conversation with them actually, I think led to some of the most creative conversations that I've had with people who have been doing this for a long time. So it definitely like the silver lining in some of, and I'm not saying it's easy, like definitely one of the most stressful moments in my life was when I was like, how do I figure out what Meet Cute looks like back in March of 2020? Um, But looking back, I can say that, you know, around imposter syndrome and feeling like a new player in the space and wanting to build something very unique that no one has seen before, I felt like there was a lot of camaraderie in the space between new players and old players, because we were all just scrambling and trying to understand what the next model of business looked like for everyone. I want to ask you if we can back up even before the pandemic, because what you're describing is just so intriguing to me. And I want to ask you about how you got here. Was this your idea? Were you in a related space before? Like, how did you get to the point where you said, this is my new venture? Great question. Um, So before Meet Cute, I was at a venture capital firm in New York called Union Square Ventures. And I was on the investment team there. So I was looking at companies at the earliest stages at the seed and series A stage and evaluating whether that was a company that we wanted to invest in and work with. And while I was there, I was really fascinated by what we called our well-being companies. So those are companies that contributed to people's well-being, whether it was a mental health startup, a healthcare company. And as I spent more time in that space, I felt like there was an underinvested in sector. And that sector was entertainment from the VC perspective. And the reason that I thought entertainment was definitely part of the well-being sector is you always go to entertainment when you're feeling down or you want to feel something. You listen to music, you put your AirPods in, listen to a podcast, you watch a movie, you go to a concert, whatever it is, that's almost like the precursor to what I would say is more like prescriptive mental health. It's something that you're just doing for fun. And I started looking at entertainment models and realized that so much of Hollywood was very hit driven. It was, um, you know, you invest in a movie for two or three years in Hollywood, you bring in talent, but you have no idea how it's going to perform when that movie goes live. And And so some of the partners at USV and I were sitting down talking about these things. And I was like, you haven't really seen a venture backed entertainment company that is making content and stories 
in a product-based way. And so I, we kind of identified together this gap in the market. And MeetCute actually started out as an incubation of this idea within the VC that I was at, the VC firm. And I spent a lot of my time building out what I thought the business model would be. And at first we were incubating it so that when we found that company, that we could jump on it and invest in it. But over time we didn't, we weren't finding that company. And at some point, a couple of the partners sat me down and were like, what if you left USV, spun this company out into its own thing and ran MeetCute? Or what was we we were then calling it something else. Meet Cute is its name now, but um, it was one of those moments in life where I was like, I I don't have an entertainment background, um, and I've never led a company before, but I felt like I had some of the core skill sets because I'd worked with founders at the early stages. I'd sat on the investment side. I really was excited about what this role entailed, like having this bird's eye view of every facet of a company. And so I just said, yes, I took the weekend to think about it. And then Sunday I grabbed coffee with one of the partners, Andy, and I was like, all right, I'm in. Um, And I think that that took them by surprise, like how quickly I said yes, but I was just excited about how new and innovative this idea was in the space and that I could impact change by hiring a really smart team and working on this problem every single day and going deep on something. Um, but again, going back to that point of, I had, I had, you know, no entertainment network. I was going to learn Hollywood from the ground up. I think there were positives and negatives in my mind around that, where I thought the positives are, I will come to every conversation with a beginner mindset and that I can be creative here and think outside the box and bring in examples from other industries into our business model The negatives are that I'm starting from ground zero. Like so many people have been doing this. They've studied entertainment. They've, you know, grown up in the agency background. They have a network and I will be building that from scratch. And part of that excited me and part of that terrified me. (laughs) Absolutely. I love how you, you paint a picture, right. Of the thought processes that were going through your mind. And I can only imagine that there's part of you that's that's thinking, wow, this is so exciting. And another part that's thinking, wow, this is terrifying at the same time. Right. I'm curious when you, now you're, you're kind of thinking about this in hindsight, right. At the time, how concerned were you that you didn't have that entertainment background? And did you find yourself going into meetings feeling like, I don't know enough, I'm going to be found out? Like, how did you, how did you think through all of that when you were in that moment? Totally. And when, when like now looking back at those meetings, I think there was a lot of, I was like very curious in those meetings. So I asked a lot of questions and I didn't pretend to know everything about entertainment, which I think if I were going to like give advice to someone going into a new industry altogether. Like, I think that that actually set me up really well where I found a lot of mentors in the space rather than trying to set myself up as the expert in the space right away. And I think a lot of founders are kind of expected to be the experts from day one. And maybe that's like something that we put in our own heads. Like if I'm building a company in X space, I need to be the most knowledgeable about it. But I don't think I put that pressure on myself just because I knew that I was coming in not as 
an entertainment CEO, I was coming in with my background and my skill set. And so I remember going into a lot of those first meetings with a with a blank piece of paper and a pen and just asking questions. And that kind of set the tone for the meetings as like, okay, even though Naomi doesn't know how the producer director relationship works in the film industry, like she's just curious and wants to learn from me. And that actually helped a lot with quelling some of those initial fears that like, I'm not the expert in the room and I'm okay with that. I'm okay just being there to learn and I will build this company based on what I learned from other people in the field. I think that a lot of the feelings that I had came from like, I was also like oftentimes the youngest person in the room. And so I, like when I first started out, I remember trying to hide my age a little bit. And I remember, you know, like I like took my age off my LinkedIn so that people couldn't see how young I was and see that I didn't have experience in the space. Cause I didn't feel like I was inexperienced. I felt like today you see creators starting to make their own content when they're like early teenagers and they bring a unique perspective to the table that someone who's been in the industry for 25 years just can't see. And they have to have a conversation with that young person to see it. But like all of that, it took me time to process and realize when I first went into those conversations, I definitely was like, okay, I need to act way more professional and way more polished. And now I think I go into meetings like, no, I'm my age. And hopefully that brings something new to the table that they haven't heard before that they haven't seen before. And maybe that's valuable. So I definitely think that was like a growth thing for me over the last year and a half where, you know, like being a young female of color, and younger in the space, I've now realized how that can play as a strength in a lot of these conversations where I'm like, I have different opinions than a lot of the people I'm talking to. Whereas before I was a little more nervous around, okay, what does it mean to be in a room full of people who have climbed the ranks of media and entertainment um, and know a lot more than me? I definitely felt like I was a lot more, um, I was more of like a sponge in those meetings. I was absorbing as much as I could. Whereas now I feel like I can contribute. Like I've, I've spent time learning and building in this space and have thought out opinions and have kept up with the market and understand a lot of dynamics in the market and now can like contribute to these conversations in a much more real way than I felt like I could when I was first starting out. So I'm curious too, because you you talk about these dimensions that can be both a positive and a negative, depending on who's in the room, right? And you talk about the perspective that you have as a woman of color, somebody who's younger, somebody who doesn't have entertainment expertise. I'm going to show my just bias here, my, my own ignorance perhaps, but I'm making the assumption in my mind that in the entertainment industry in particular, there's some big egos. Uh, how did How did you deal with people who maybe were not as receptive to somebody who's young, somebody who doesn't necessarily have the same background that they do. I mean, did you encounter people who weren't as open to being in the room or having the conversations with you? Absolutely. Like this morning, you know, like as, as recent as my emails this morning, I've encountered that. And One thing that actually one of my investors is also a very close professional mentor for me. Um, And he told me something early on in Meet Cute, which I think I have 
like kept repeating to myself over and over again is that it just takes one person to believe in your idea. Um, and you, your job is to find that person and to seek that person out. But there will be so many people out there who think it's a bad idea. And that is actually a huge advantage because it means that they don't see the strength in your idea that you see yet. And so you have, you have something new, like you have something that like people haven't really identified yet as a market opportunity. And that's huge. And so carrying that as like a, you know, when you're working on a new idea, and I don't think this is just an entertainment, I think this really applies to like anyone working on a new project or a new endeavor or something that feels like a novel or unique idea. That is where you generate your confidence from, not from the reaction that people give you or someone like I've been on Zoom calls where people are literally like typing away and like working on other things. And I'm there trying to explain why my idea is amazing. And at the end of those calls, I definitely feel like, you know, like there's like a little bit of a pinch, like why is that happening to this idea? It's such a good idea. Um, And I think that like, it's almost like the intrinsic value of the idea is not defined by how other people react to it. It's defined by how much you believe in it. And that sounds super, super cliche, but I think that that is something that is the only way to build a company because you will get 99.9% of doors slammed in your face in the first phases because people aren't used to new ideas. It turns out that humans like consistency and like doing things the same way over and over again. And it takes a lot of inertia to change someone's mind. Like if I ask you, like, when is the last conversation that you've had that you've actually changed your mind about something. And I've had this conversation with a lot of my friends. I'm curious, like, if you remember the last time that you have actually changed your mind in a conversation with someone, it's a really hard thing to do. That's a really good question. And because nothing comes to mind, I'm going to assume it's probably been a while. Right? <laughs> exactly. Like we just are, we are creatures of habit. And like, we have a, we, at some point in our lives, have our opinions and everyone has that. And so being younger or being new in a sector or, you know, feeling different, which is like kind of how I define imposter syndrome when you feel different in a room. I think that that the negative of it is that it can be an uphill battle and it can take, it can just like grate against you and you have to work through those things and you have to have a strong support system around you to make sure that you're taken care of in those times. Um, but the positive of it is that it means that you're introducing something new to the world that hasn't been seen before. And there's like intrinsic value in that. And that is really exciting for me and exciting for, I think, a lot of people working on new ideas and new products in the world. It's like, how cool is it that like people haven't discovered what you've discovered yet? And I think that that's where like confidence comes from. And you're saying so many interesting things right now. And I'm, I'm taking my taking notes so that I remember what I want to, what I want to say in response. But what's really jumping out at me is the fact that a you're not tying your value, your self-worth, your identity to other people's responses to this idea, right? It sounds to me like you, while I'm sure being 
you know, beaten up from time to time doesn't feel good, right? You, you've been able to frame that in a way that is productive and that allows you to keep moving forward, right? So I think that's really powerful because I think sometimes, especially like you said, when you feel like you don't belong or you feel like people, people who come across as important or like, well, I know I've been around for a while. I know what works and what doesn't work. It can be really easy to give up before you've even given it a chance. Right. But what you're saying too, is when you encounter resistance, that's actually a good sign because it means you're testing people's ways of thinking about things and that you're not, uh, you know, that there, you can expect that because people don't like change or have this automatic reflex when it comes to thinking differently that you may be onto something and to think about it that way instead. Yes, absolutely. I think that you nailed it. It's like, that is, you can almost reframe it as like, that's a positive thing when you, when you encounter resistance, because it means that you're challenging something you're going against status quo and like what is innovation if it's not doing all of that? Um, and I like in this conversation, it's so easy to say, yeah, just your intrinsic value is always set to the highest and you can't, no one else can change that. And it definitely every day doesn't feel like that to me. Like I go through days of, you know, maybe I should rethink the way I'm doing this. Maybe I need to do things differently. Like why isn't this working? And and that honestly makes you work hard. Like it makes you say like, okay, like I framed it in this way to this person. It didn't stick. I'm going to stay up tonight and figure out how I'm going to reframe it so that the next conversation I have, maybe it works better. So like there is some amount of that that I think is really healthy and pushes us to, to work hard. And that stress and anxiety, like I think can be beneficial if it's not managed and and you don't have people around you saying, wow, you're doing something really hard and I'm so impressed and like, keep going. I think that it definitely results in like some negative consequences for founders. There's a lot of burnout, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty and anxiety wrapped up in it. But I think that what I've found is that like, I need some amount of that to push me really hard. And that actually does help in some cases. I'm not advocating for like being anxious or, or like having poor mental health. I think that mental health is one of the most important things to take care of. Um, but I think that there is a lot of grit that comes out of going through that process. And I've never experienced it in my professional career until I was doing something new that I felt like a lot of ownership over. I felt pride over. And then your pride definitely becomes bruised when, people aren't listening or you feel like, you know, like, why is that person not accepting this idea? And that bruised pride, I think actually helps with the next iteration of whatever you're working on. Yeah. Well, and I'm curious too. So for, for people who are listening, who work for other people, right. Who aren't founders, is there anything you've learned from this experience as a founder that you wish you knew when you were working for others? Absolutely. And it's like, these are conversations that I have with my team members at MeetQ all the time, where it's like, you can take a lot of these things. And like, if you have a new idea at the company, like that is innovation, right? Like that. And people might say, oh, like we're not working on that now. Or like, that's not part of our roadmap, but like 
maybe you have found the thing that actually changes the trajectory of like the product you're working on or the strategy that you're trying to implement or the sales tactic that you want to go out with. So I think a lot of these lessons or like, you know, nuggets of what I've learned, you actually can apply to many different parts of, of a company um, anywhere along it. Like whether you're the most junior intern at a company or whether you're like the head of a department or anything. Um, and I actually think that like a lot of people at Meet Cute have had these conversations with me where we're like, okay, we tried this thing. We tried it over and over and over and over again. What do we need to do differently? And like some part of that is grit and resistance and, or sorry, resilience and trying to do something hard that might be encountering resistance from either people or the market or our audience or something like that. And I think that having gone through a lot of these types of conversations, it's changed my approach to how I talk to team members about it. I remember like, you know, we got constructive feedback or negative feedback from um, the market around like one of the series that we were working on. And I realized that like, that was not the right fit for this one partner, but it made me think, okay, who are the other people that we're about to go out to now? And like, I think this is the right fit for them. So like the conversation turned into, do we believe in our product and in the content that we've created? Yes. Okay. If that answer is yes, how are we going to go out again? Like, how are we going to like pick ourselves up, go out to the next person and go pitch this in a new way? And had I not gone through that process, I think I would have not been able to reframe that, you know, imposter syndrome in the market into a new thing that actually challenged our team to get creative and go back out there, like pick themselves up and and do it. And so I think that like, it's not just at the founder level. I think that this feeling happens. It's like a universal human trait that we all feel at some point. And part of it, I think probably the most important thing I've learned is like as a leader or as a, an operator, if you can reframe something to be imposter syndrome to like, how do I turn this into a strength or something confident, you will be invaluable at Mm -hmm. your company or at your organization, because people will look at you and be like, how do they do that? Like, how do they keep turning this thing into a strength that everyone else views as a weakness? And I, I think that that actually will benefit people immensely in personal life, professional life, anywhere. I agree with you completely. And I think part of that is making a conscious effort to do that. And sometimes when we fall into the trap of either limiting beliefs or self-doubt, you know, something that just sort of brings us in in a negative direction, we don't recognize that there's an opportunity there to examine it and look at it differently. So part of it is just pausing and catching yourself. The other thing I want to ask you about too, because you've mentioned this a couple of times now is this idea of a support system, right? So how do you leverage the support system that you have? Do you Are you open and vulnerable with them about how you're feeling? Like how, how do you get support from, from them? Yeah, I think this was a huge learning for me because I think that my core personality is to keep things a little bit bottled up um, just from childhood. I think that like I am slower to talk about things outside of my brain. Um, And it's just something that in my personal life, I think I realized was 
grading against me and was really hard as I've grown up. And so in the last year and a half, especially, I think I've found ways to learn how to communicate that, like write things down so that I can verbalize it. Once I verbalize it and understand it, I can have conversations around it with people outside of myself. Um, And I think that it's really helped in a professional setting where I've actually found that when I open up with team members that I work with, where it's like, I'm actually not certain about how we should go about this or what do you guys think about this? Like I have been racking my head against it all weekend and I can't figure out what the right approach is for this. I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts. It leads to so much more collaborative thinking on the team. And it's something that I didn't realize how being vulnerable and sharing in like an open space can be. And obviously it's not with everything. Like some things you want to like come in with like a concrete decision and you want people to feel like, yes, like that's what we're rallying around. That's the North star. Let's go get it. But there are other things that I think are really good points at a company to be vulnerable, to like let people in on your thinking and then to create kind of a support system out of that. Um, And I definitely don't think that that was my forte when I first started running a company or even before that professionally, I think that I felt like I needed to be perfect and I felt like I needed to project perfection. Um, Cause I think that's how, you know, when you go through school, you always want to turn in like the best version of your work and you're always graded on how perfect are you? Um, and I don't think that that translates actually into the real world as well. Cause I, I never think that you're ever going to be the most perfect version of yourself with your team, with an external partner. And sometimes the best conversations start with, I'm actually not sure what we're doing or like what the direction is. And I want to have a collaborative conversation and hear what you think around this. Um, and there's a really, you know, that's something that like, I want to work on more. Like, I think there's a really good, healthy balance between leading with conviction and leading with vulnerability. And those are things that I'm actively working on as a leader and and want to get better at. You're, you're making me think, and it's funny because I feel like you were in the conversation I had last hour because this was so similar to what we were talking about, but you're making me think about something too, that it's really hard to be a good leader and an expert at the same time, because if you have all the answers, if you're really good at something and you know it really well, it's just harder to take information from other people. It's harder to be to be vulnerable. It's harder to give up control and empower other people to do things. Um, yeah. And being a good leader requires the kinds of skills that you're talking about, right? Of creating a safe space for other people to feel like, hey, I have something of significance. Because if everyone sees you as the expert, no one's going to feel like they have anything to contribute beyond what you already know. And so you're having those kinds of conversations where you say, hey, everybody, I don't have the answer. What would you suggest really changes the dynamic in terms of what they feel safe opening up and sharing? And then everybody can feel like they have something of value to contribute. Yeah, I think the one of the best pieces of advice that I got early on in building a company is like hire people that you're going to learn from. Um, and hire people who you feel are smarter than you. And, and at the end of the day, like you have to trust the people that you are working with and give them ownership over a lot of key decisions that like one person cannot make at a company. Um, 
And I really took that to heart. And so our hiring process is rigorous. And, you know, we ask a lot of questions of people and want to hear their opinions and hope that they'll continue to contribute in a really meaningful way in team conversations and all of that. Um, And you definitely want to, you know, like you want to be as knowledgeable as possible about the field that you're building in. Like you want to be reading, stay up to date with new trends. You want to be able to have intelligent conversations. But I think that that is very different from thinking and believing that you are the expert, the expert in something. And like, it takes like humility. And I'm not saying that like, I'm like the perfect person around this. Like it takes humility to go into a conversation and say like, here's what I know and like what I believe and and still like you want to have some conviction in your ideas and in your thinking. Cause like, why would you be building a company if you didn't have conviction, but then balance that with, I want to hear what other people think and I'm open to changing my ideas. It's like strong beliefs loosely held or whatever that like cliche saying is, you know, like you want to go in with strong beliefs, but be open to learning from the people that you are around. And hopefully you are never the smartest person in a room, not just if you're a leader, but even if you're like the intern, hopefully you're like interning in a place where you feel kind of like stretched and pulled in different directions. Um, And I think that that is the sign of a very healthy professional setting. Um, And I've always, I think not just at MeetCube, but like as I've made decisions about where I want to work and the teams that I want to be on, that has been like a subconscious decision that I've always made is like, where am I going to not feel like the expert on something? Because I, I think that even when I'm super tenured in the space and I think some of the best leaders at these big entertainment companies that I've talked to are ones that are like, wait, tell me what you learned from this experiment that you ran at the small startup meet cute. Because I think that there's something for us to learn at our big company here. And I'm like the fact that they 30 or 40 years into their career are leaning forward and asking me questions means that that's what they've done for like, you know, the last 30 or 40 years. And that's why they've gotten to this point in their career where they're so successful. Um, and so like, I personally aspire to be like that. Um, and I think that it's, it's this really, it's this really important balance between yeah, expertise without being an expert and, um, like humility to take other people's ideas and bring them into whatever decision or product or strategy you're working on. Yeah. It's, it's, that's so interesting because you bring up a really good point. There's something inherently uncomfortable about feeling like we're not the smartest person in the room, right? There's an intimidation factor there, but at the same time, how, for how long is that going to be stimulating? (laughs) Yes. You're not going to learn if you can't, if you're not surrounded by people who can teach you something, who can help you. I've actually thought about this a lot with like how easy it is to access information today um, on the internet. Like, I wonder if anyone today ever feels like the expert in anything because like whatever you are looking into, like someone has done it, maybe like really, really tenured professors researching something at the cutting edge of their field or like a PhD that's done research in like a very niche field for eight years is the most knowledgeable person about that subject in the world. But like, other than that, I'm like, who feels like the expert on anything with like how much information we have out there today? 
that's a really great point. And I think it's something that everybody should remember, right? When we yeah. put pressure on ourselves, because it is absolutely not a realistic standard, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> well, I, I am so grateful to you for having this conversation. I have one more important question for you, which is how do we follow you? How do we consume what you're creating? Yes. Um, so first, Meet Cute is a podcast feed on every major podcast platform. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to audio. We release a new rom-com series every month, and we have a library of hundreds of rom-coms on Apple Podcasts um, that you can subscribe to. So that is where you follow Meet Cute. We also have a social community. So Instagram is probably the most fun place to consume our content. We're on TikTok, Twitter. So come follow us there. And then I'm on all the social platforms too. So would love to hear from all of your listeners and keep in touch. And I love talking about this stuff. So thank you for, for this conversation. Yeah. Thank you, Naomi. And I'm going to put your information in the show notes as well. So anybody who wants to can find more information and stay connected. It's been so great talking to you today. Thanks for sharing all of your, your wisdom and insights with us. I really appreciate it. Perfect. Thanks. You too, Kim. This is great. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to stay connected, please join the Leading Women Discussion Group, which meets every Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern. This is a place where women come together to discuss questions or challenges related to leadership development and career management. It's a great place to learn from, support, and connect with other women on similar journeys. In addition to the weekly calls, we also have a Facebook group and a Slack channel where we stay connected and support each other please join us there too. You can check out the show notes for the links. Before we wrap up, if you like this podcast, I would love to share another podcast with you that I know you will enjoy. Do you ever find yourself playing small? Do you want to take risks, but in the end, you end up taking the safe route? Does your inner critic keep you from reaching your full potential? As counterintuitive as it often feels, We don't become confident first and then take action. It's through our actions that we build our confidence. That's why one of the greatest ways to manage imposter syndrome is by taking brave and bold action. If you want inspiration and insights to help you to take action and to be brave at work, then my friend and colleague, Jen Pastikas' Brave Women at Work podcast is for you. Jen and I met when we interviewed each other for our podcasts, and I knew instantly that Jen and I shared a similar worldview and a commitment to empowering women to be our best selves. On her podcast, Jen digs into common challenges such as perfectionism, boundary setting, and burnout, all to empower us to shift our mindsets and play bigger in the workplace. You can find the Brave Women at Work podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Visit the show notes for the relevant links. Thanks again, and please stay in touch.